0: Once when he was in one of the cities, there was a man covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he bowed with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you choose, you can make me clean. Then Jesus stretched out his hand, touched him and said, I do choose, be made clean. Immediately the leprosy left him. And he ordered him to tell no one. Go, he said, and show yourself to the priests. And as Moses commanded, make an offering for your cleansing for a testimony to them. The Word of God. Please be seated. For those visiting with us, welcome to our tradition as we do every week. We read the text together, it must be heard, and and we're on our feet. We're not in a cult. God bless you, we're normal. We just like to be together. Turn to somebody and say, own it. it. Tell someone else, own it. Own it. it. We are in a brand new series in the fall that we've entitled Own It. Own it, the the idea of own it here, uh, according to freedictionary.com, is to be responsible for something. And or encouragement to embrace and exhibit something about oneself with confidence. Yo, I owned that. I owned it. So for our purpose through the next few weeks, both of these definitions will work. But to be more accurate, what we hope to inspire is a proactive engagement to take responsibility for our lives. An active engagement. You are it. You are not living passively from day to day, allowing the busy world to distract you and pull you in its whim. You are going to take control of engaging in your own life. This series is targeted to look into various parts of our living and be challenged to engage so that to lean fully into kingdom purpose. And this Sabbath, we're starting with owning our faith. Own your faith. Turn to somebody and say, own your faith. Ooh, Own your faith. Mm. Faith is to have complete trust and or confidence in someone or something. It's a conviction to follow or to believe in it fully and wholeheartedly. So when we talk about our faith, what's your faith, have your faith, what we are are talking about is the confidence of following something or someone and that conviction, whether that be a person or an event or a religion, to be my faith. I have full confidence. The problem is when we tell people to own their faith what has traditionally been understood when we say that is that people then become uh, more aggressive they become aggressive apologetics they they use uh, coercive proselytizing they are evangelists at any cost It's meant for them to be objectively right and true, and everyone else and their ideas is false. An unwavering, non-questioning, blind faith in something or someone. And that's how people have interpreted owning their faith. They become extreme and and strong and, and they're very objective in their belief. I'm right, you're wrong, and if you want to be saved, you need to do it my way. And so we begin to attack each other. We begin to tear each other down in the name of our faith. I don't know if that's the way Jesus wanted us to live our lives. I don't know if Jesus was hoping we'd become great debaters on our faith. I think what happens when we do this is it creates cold, argumentative, defensive Christians that seem like they care more of following their doctrines and their dogmas than for caring for people. And the church's job, our faith, is to care For people, can I get an amen? Amen. So we've missed it because we hope that someone will do what we tell them to do if we just try hard enough to convince them. A few years ago, uh, when I was pastoring down in LA, I had some friends who joined the church. They were kind of hanging out. They were a band, but they really loved the feel of the place. And so one, you know, they just started coming and hanging out, and they just got into the groove of our church. And one day they said, hey, Pastor, man, we really love you. And I said, man, I love you guys too. And they said, why don't you come over on Tuesday night? Would you come over on Tuesday night? And we want to just, we want to pray for you because, you know, we just love you. And I said, all right, great. I'll come over. And then they said, we also invited another pastor to come pray for you. I was like, oh, okay guess I'm not enough for you. I said, no problem, man. The more pastors, the better, man. The more prayer, the better. He said, great, 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 great. So I got to their house. I'm, I'm, I pull in and I, I'm there and they're waiting for the rest of the band to come in. Once the guys all got in, they said, man, pastor, you know what? We just think you're, man, we just love you, man. And we just, you know, we want the best for you. And I was like, man, thank you. We don't have enough congregation members that care for their pastors like this. I really bless you. And they said, no, bless you. I said, bless you. No, bless you. Okay, let's bless each other. And then they were like, we just feel like you just, you know, you're, you're almost there and you just need, a, you, 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 you just need one more step. And I said, one more step? I stepped all the way here to your house. What are you talking about? And he said, listen, we've got this great pastor friend of ours. He's an evangelist. And he's good. And we we, we just wanted him to pray over you so that, you know, the spirit could fall on you. I was like, dang, I thought the spirit was on me already. I guess not. So they called him out, and uh, he came from the back, and he's like, hey, man, it's really nice to meet you. I heard a lot about you. We're really proud of who you are. And he said, yeah, this is our Pentecostal pastor friend. And they said, he's gonna lay his hands on you, and he's gonna pray for you, and and he's gonna pray in tongues, and, and, and the latter rain will fall on you, and then you'll be able to start speaking in tongues. And I was like, dang for real and i love my pentecostal brothers and sisters and their expression of their faith but adventists we are not that we get really awkward with that kind of stuff we don't know how to act we just don't know it's like you know we show up to a party and we're like i don't know how to dance i can't dance what's going on right the pentecostals they get down they don't play and the pastor was like look i'm gonna lay my hands on you i'm gonna pray for you the spirit is gonna fall and it's gonna chance so i said okay hey listen whatever you need get on your knees i'm on my knees he starts praying. Let me tell you, we were in prayer for 30 minutes. I thought Jesus was going to come back. 30 minutes of me on my knees. And he's going, man. He's rocking me. He's sweating on me. He's spitting on me. He's just doing his work. And, and at some point, I was just like, Lord, please let me speak in tongues. Please, because I need this to stop. I was tempted. Just, just start saying some stuff. You just start, just do it. Mumble and I was like I can't do it I can't bring myself to it but he was working he's like no the spirit gonna move on you and I was like oh Jesus please move please I felt like such a failure when he was done he, man, he was just, his shirt was all unbuttoned he had sweated through it he was like oh man he's like that's alright listen 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 I'm just gonna keep praying for you okay and he was so tired he said I have to go home I have to go home and lay down yeah brother me too we all need to go lay down so beat right now I'm so beat I felt like such a failure but but to my to my guy right he for him it was like in order for you to to be fully grown in the spirit you have to be able to express it the way I express it according to my dogmatic lifestyle and sometimes this is not a conviction on Pentecost this is a conviction of all of Christendom sometimes we come into a place and say unless you are exactly like me you are not saved And we think this is our job. We think this is what it means to own our faith. I don't see Jesus doing that very much. I find myself in the book of Luke, as we read together earlier, and he sees this leper, right? This leper is is there and the leper approaches him. And Jesus is about to do something beautiful and I think that we need to pay attention so that we too can emulate what it looks like to own our faith. According to Leonard Sweet, he writes this. To follow Jesus does not mean that you have to have all the answers. To follow Jesus does not mean that you are all together personally. To follow Jesus does not even mean that suddenly the shades go up and the lights flood in and the shadows disappear. It just means that you keep on moving after the one who has chosen you turn to somebody and say, keep moving. Just keep moving. Look, you're going to make mistakes. We're going to fail. We're not meant to be perfect. We're human beings. Our task is not to live an excellently perfect, pure life. It's, our job is to follow Jesus. So we follow Jesus in chapter 5, and Jesus is in action here. He's about to do some beautiful things. Now in chapter 4 of the book of Luke, he proclaims out of the book of Isaiah that the Spirit of the Lord is upon him. And he was anointed. He's here to give good news to the poor and proclaim the release of the captives and recovery of the sight to the blind and let the oppressed go free. Now this is Jesus proclaiming what the church should look like. And so we see it tangibly in chapter 5. There was a man covered with leprosy. Covered. It can't be hidden. He can't put it behind clothes. It's so, it's so all over him that it's apparent. Whether he wants to deny it or not, everyone can see that he has leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he bowed his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you choose, you can make me clean again. So this story immediately signals to us a few things That are true. One, that the man is cursed. Lepers are not seen as people who were sick in his context. They were seen as people that were cursed. So because of a condition that he has that he has no control over, he sees himself as cursed, not sick. This man was all alone. As a leper, he's all alone. Lepers were considered unclean and forbidden to have community or companionship Or fellowship. They were usually often outside of the city. This man was also convinced, we know this just from this context, that the man, because of his condition, was convinced himself that he was not worthy of community. The man doesn't think he should have community, but he's convinced by the fact that he's got this condition, and everyone around him has put him out. And so now he believes. It, is, it has reached his personal belief system that he is unworthy of companionship and community. And so he's left out. But then he sees Jesus. And he comes to Jesus. And he lays before Jesus. And he says, Jesus, you can do this. And if you choose, you can make me clean again. Notice he doesn't say... You can heal me, or, or you can take away my sickness. He says, you can make me clean again. Interesting phrase, to make clean. This man is considered unclean. He's not considered sick, he's considered unclean. And if he becomes clean, if he's deemed clean, what that means for this man is not just that he's healed, even if he's not healed, but if he's deemed clean by the priest, he can do what? He can go back where? Into the community. So if he can get like the stamp of approval that, hey, you're clean, he can now have family again and companionship again and be with people again. So what he's saying here is, yeah, I'm in pain, but more than anything, I need a community of people. Our athletes this year, you will need a community of people who will care for you. There are going to be moments when you feel alone, when you feel isolated, when you feel like a failure, when you feel like everything has gone wrong, you need a community to pull in next to you and say, no, you are deemed worthy by God. Come here. This is home for you. So this man, he's feeling this way about himself. And he asked Jesus, he says, you can deem me clean again. You you, you can make that command happen. That'll give me back my family. That'll give me back companionship. That'll give me back a connection with the community. And I've been dying for that, Jesus. It's been a lonely road. Not just for our athletes, but for our members. Has it been a lonely road for you? Have you felt all alone? Maybe it's it's in your parenting, right? Parenting is a hard job. Let all the parents say amen. Hey, if you're not a parent, go ahead and just wait. Wait. Just wait it out. If You get tempted, don't get tempted. Just wait. <laughs> Somebody say amen. Hey, you hear how the parents were a little excited when they said that amen. Hey, listen, we love our children. They're the best things ever. I'd never give my kids back. But listen, when you get them, you don't. You, there's no refund. You can't send them back. Maybe you've been feeling alone in your parenting. Or in your job. Maybe you've been feeling alone in your orientation. And how scary it is to be someone who who is is always on the edge of feeling like you're going to be ousted. By the normative culture around you. You need a community that says no. Here you are safe and loved in Jesus. So. This man is, is looking for that. But here's the cool thing. The cool thing is not that Jesus heals him. And I think we always rush to the healing because that's what we want. We like the product. We always want the, give us the result. How did it turn out? Is it going to be good? That's what we want to hear about. We don't, the, the, the process in between is kind of boring for us. Like get to the healing part. But you can't get to the healing part unless you go through the process of the healing. You can't get to the fruit or to the production unless you're willing to go through the middle part, which takes time, which takes thoughtfulness, which takes a struggle, an initiative, which takes time to own that, right? My daughter uh, is a quick learner. My son son and daughter are different. They're both quick learners, but they learn differently. Like my son, um, he, as a baby, he kept falling off the bed. Like he'd roll to the edge, and then he just like his big old body just, and it was like, dang. And then you pick him up, Two seconds later, thump. Like, bro. And you pick up later, and you see him. He's like, man, I shouldn't get to that. I shouldn't do it, but let me just check it out. Ah, boom. My daughter fell one time out of the bed as a baby, never again went to the edge. Never. So that's the edge of the bed, never going near. You could be at the edge, say, come on, baby. Nope, she'll just sit there and just look at you. So I realized at some point that I'm gonna have to teach her how to get off the bed, because otherwise, she'll be in college talking about, Dad, I need you to help me get off the bed girl, you're 22. I know. Hurry up. I got to get to class. Like, dang. So, so I said, okay, I'm going to teach her how to get off the bed. So I get on the bed and I play with her and she'd be there, you know, and, and she's like, hey, I'm your daddy. I love you. And then I'd scoot her towards the end of the bed, right? It's like, okay, cool. And then when she, when her big, big baby legs would just hang over the edge, and then she'd be like this, like, where's the ground, right? Then she'd realize that she was no longer on the bed, and she'd look back and say, like, and then she'd give me this look like, who are you, strange man? Why are you trying to kill me? I was like, no, baby, I got you. Let's, let's do this. And it oh! And I'd pull her back on the bed. Go, 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 I said, dang. And then I'd push her off. And then when she'd realize, she's like, ah. And at one point I said, I'm going to go for it because our bed's kind of high. I'm six foot three. I need a higher bed. So I'm pushing her off the bed. I'm just barely hanging on. And she's just, oh, I hate you, strange man of the devil. Oh. My wife comes in and she's like yelling. And I'm like, hey, babe, like, what are you doing? Why are you trying to kill our children? I said, we should have waited. No, I didn't say that. Said, that's cold blood. I said, baby, i got to teach her how to get off the bed. I've got to teach her how to go through the process. Otherwise, she's never going to know that, that that when she's moving through the process, there's a ground underneath her that will catch her. And as I'm going, she's like, ah, ah. And as soon as her big baby feet were touch the ground, up, go, 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 go. She was off. And I said, she's got to go through the process of feeling suspended in a situation so that she can know that there is a solid ground beneath her. And sometimes in our spiritual life, You've got to be able to move through the suspension of moments that don't feel safe in order for you to find that there is a God who's foundationally waiting to grab you. Here we are in that moment. This man is moving through the process. Hey, let's get to the healing part. Yes, we can get to the healing, but something more important, I think, is happening in this story, and we can't miss it. Dr. Kendra Holoviak valentine by, by the way, if you haven't taken a class from her and you're here, Go sign up for a class with this woman. She's she's brilliant. In her class many years ago, she noted that Jesus often heals in a few different fashions. Jesus can heal from a distance. Go home, your child is healed. Jesus can heal by command, where he says, "You are better." Jesus can call people out from the grave. And then Jesus does another thing. Sometimes Jesus touches the individual for healing. Now, consider the moment. This is a leper. According to the text, who was covered with leprosy. You could tell just how profusely overwhelming it might be to look at this man whose flesh is being eaten out before them, who has a stench about his sores, who seems to be falling apart. Why would Jesus touch him? In this moment, if I were Jesus, this is one of the times where I would speak healing to him. You know, he, hey, Jesus, hey, stay back, brother, you're healed. Go. We're cool. Jesus chooses to do the most controversial thing he could do. Everyone watching along is like, oh, don't touch him. Oh, look at him. Oh, it's just, I can't. He's disgusting. He's got a stench about him. And yet Jesus, beyond all that, moves towards this person and lays his hands compassionately on the leper and touches him. Wow, Jesus. How do I own my faith like that? When there are people groups that disgust me, when there are individuals who get on my nerves, somebody say, Amen. Yeah, so I'm like, mm, My roommate, praise the Lord. <laughs> how do I do that? Jesus, how do I move beyond my own biases, my own prejudice? My own hate that sometimes I, 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 I mask in theology, right? Well, it's because of my faith that I, I don't love these kind of people or that kind of person. No, that's just our ugliness inside. That's just us. How do we move past that? I want to own my faith. Jesus stretched out his hand, touched him, and said, I do choose. Be made clean. Touch is an interesting thing. Because when we move to touch people or people move to touch us, it invades our space, our personal space, right? And that's appropriate sometimes. Like you can touch someone and it's appropriate, but then there's other times where you just, that's, I can't, this is, you are too close to me. Like you ever shake a hand of a person who just limp biscuits you like, hey. That's the worst, like you're like, hey, why are you like that? And then there's the other homies who are like, like the, the, the green beret of shaking hand, right? Like they've been working out all day to shake people's hand. They want to crush you to death. Put her there. Like, nope. You're going to crush every bone in, in my hand. What about that person who hugs too long? You ever, you ever hug the person who hugs too long where they just hold you? You're, uh, and you're like, uh, can you? We're done hugging. No, no, brother. We're here together for life. Touching is a very, very, you know, very interesting thing. For the Hebrew people, it was very interesting as well, right? There were times when it was appropriate to touch someone and times when it wasn't. This was a Levitical law. You couldn't touch dead people. This is why the priest and the Levite in the Good Samaritan story was so weird. People always make them the bad guy because they didn't want to stop. Whether they wanted to stop or not to help that Good Samaritan, they were not allowed to according to Levitical law. You see, he may have wanted to help the guy, but he knows his faith tradition does not allow him to touch the person. If our faith tradition does not allow us to care for people, the problem is the faith tradition. So my guy didn't stop to touch. He's not allowed to touch uh, dead animals, unclean animals. Women were sent out of the community for days at a time, not allowed to be touched. Touch was very, very important to the Hebrew people. It meant being contaminated. It meant being uh, um, infected by. it. It meant if I touch you, I become unclean as well. So by the fact that Jesus touched this man, what the people around him were thinking was, wow, you are actually going to get infected by this guy? Is it worth your cleanliness to touch this person, Jesus? Why would you do that? Jesus reaches in because that's what God does. In Genesis, when, when God created all things, he spoke it into existence. And then on the last day, when God created Adam, humankind, men, and woman, I was reminded of that by Pastor, uh, Pastor Devo, because he's good about that. Remember, it's all of humanity, not just men. Men, we are not that special. Someone say amen. 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 <laughs> yeah. We really are that special though, don't worry. <laughs> no, we're not. Adam, humanity, this is the one time in that mythos, in that story, in that beautiful story where God comes down and doesn't speak, but touches his lips to the dirt and breathes life. God touches down in a pillar of fire. God touches down all over the the, the biblical text. And then we see in the book of John that while the word was with God and, and, and was God, that in verse 14, that God, this word, became flesh so that it could touch the world. The touch is to take action. It is to invest time, resources, reputation. It is to be contaminated It is to be infected while the rest of the world says, why? Why would you get involved with those kind of people? Why would you do this? Because this is what my faith calls me to do. The power in this story in Jesus is that his compassion and his willingness to touch be affected and the chance of being infected by the leper. As a church, we must place that. This must be the kind of place that is messy enough for us to say we must be willing to touch each other. We must be willing to be infected. I believe that owning our faith has less to do with us trying to justify our beliefs to others and our way of life, and and more to do with caring for others, for creating belonging for those who are often left out. The church must not be insular. Instead, we must be willing to reach out and be infected by a broken world in order that we might find healing, change, And love. Let the church say amen. I close. And I'm hungry. Amen. This week has been a challenging week for me. I'm not going to lie. I'll be real. We've, uh, my wife and I lost someone very special to us not too long ago. Uh, Her aunt passed. And um, this week, we held all of her services. And love to my family uh, who are here today, who uh, has been burdening this tragedy. So on, on, Wednesday, on Thursday, we had, the, we had the actual celebration of life, the memorial service for her. And I ran back here to teach class for um, Intro to Adventism. And we had some interesting conversations there. Uh, there's a couple there who grew up in Adventist. If you grow up Adventist, you know how crazy you are. If you didn't grow up Adventist, don't worry, we're not that crazy. We're, we are. We're that crazy. And then there were others in that class who never really had experience with Adventism. So one of my guys is sitting in the corner, and he's listening. You know, It's, it's a really good class. I love the engagement in there. And another, another guy over here, and he's telling his story about growing up as an Adventist. And growing up in a, in a very a stern home right, where they weren't allowed to go to movies. You all, all Adventists remember that, how you weren't allowed to go to movies? And what was the saying? You couldn't go to the movies because if you went into theater, what happened? Look at the crazies. We're here, we're all here. You couldn't go to the movies. You couldn't go to the movies. If you went inside the movie theater, uh, the angels would wait outside. They just wouldn't go in there. And if you died in the movie theater, oops, yep, that's it. You yeah. And he's telling this story, and I'm looking at him because I feel it. Like, I get it. Like, I was, you know, like, hey, listen, I, I'm having this, I know. We had some crazy stuff. But then I turn my, my perspective back over to uh, my young guy in the back corner. And he's, he's, he's not, not knowing much experience of Adventist. He's got this look of fear in his eyes. He's like, what? <laughs> the lip starts quivering. After he's done, he asks the most beautiful question. He says, excuse me, I've got a question. I said, yeah. He's like, so you're telling me y'all never go to the movies? You don't, you don't go like with your friends or that, and I was like, Lord, I love going to the movies. <laughs> He's like, whew. And I think about how there was a time when that was so important to us. We were willing to lose our children over that untruth truth. We're willing to burn our children because of a truth we thought was true. So my heart was vexed, and I'm driving back to meet up with the family afterwards, I get there, and everybody had left. It was so late. It was just uncle. Well, it was the three uncles. They were there. One of the uncles, his name is Uncle Eward. He's, he's right here with the pink tie. You can say hi to him later. He's cool. Jamaican. You'll know. He's always got this huge smile on his face. It's beautiful. And he says, where were you? I said, I had to teach intro to Adventism. He said, yeah. And he's a minister. He's been a minister for like 40 years, y'all. He's retired. When you've been a minister for 40 years, something's wrong with you. <laughs> because we hadn't seen it all, right? By the time we retire, we just either, we hate life, or, or, you know, we're just like, we just glaze over the untruth of ugliness of the world, right? And so he, he's retired, like 40 years in ministry, and he's sitting there, and uh, I said, yeah, we had an intro to Adventism class. And he says, oh, oh, what do you do there? And I said, oh, yeah, we teach about, you know, uh, Adventist beliefs and distinctions and stuff. And he says, oh, okay, okay. He, and then he, he pauses, he kind of leans back in his little shorts, and he says... I have, I have a thought on that. And that's when I got a little nervous, y'all. I'm not going to lie. Because old pastors, they say whatever they want to say. I, don't know, I didn't know if I was going to be ready for this. And I was like, are we gonna, is he going to punch me? I don't know what's going to happen right in this moment. He says, I got a thought. And I said, I was really nervous. I said, yes. And he says, I think we've spent too much time having classes on Adventism. We need more classes on how to care for people. (sighs) May our faith be the kind of faith that cares for people.